Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. Woo, that is like the coolest transition music ever. I'm not near cool enough to come out after that. But anyway, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. We're going to start a brand new series this morning titled Be Rich. Before we dive into that, I have some exciting news I'm going to announce today about the Lewis family, about my family that happened for us last night. My daughter, Allie, got engaged to last night to her boyfriend of four and a half years, Zach Olsey. And what's really cool about this, um, I wanted to share with you, I mean, Allie, when we started the church, she was about that tall. And she is a total product of Brazos Fellowship. And I just want to thank many people in this room for pouring into my sweet daughter, Allie. Not a perfect child, but she has been forever changed by how God has used so many of you in the room to love her, encourage her. She started serving in our children, Brazos kids, when she was in junior high school and served for many years. And just, it's been so cool to see how so many of the women in this church that have been a part of her life continue to be, uh, have made such a big impact. And, uh, and then Zach, of course, was, he was serving with us this summer. He was with us all summer. Worked, you'll see him even at Christmas. He'll be back in the worship band. He'll be seeing him back up here, but he helped on at the movies all summer working with us, and, and now they're both serving in a church in Austin, but it's just been so cool to see how God has blessed their relationship, and we, and we just talked about guardrails over the last couple of months. They have been so diligent and just wise with how they've had guardrails and their relationship continue to. I tell Leslie, like, I wish I was half as wise when, they were, when I was their age as they are, and she's like, but, sweetie, the reason they are doing that is because that's what we teach at the church. That's what we do. That's what we practice. And I just want to encourage you today. That it, you know, I know it's tough to keep your family and your kids in church, especially as they get older. But whatever you do, please stay in church. Stay connected. Stay plugged in. It is amazing to see how God will touch and change your kids through the people that make up this place. It's beautiful to see how it happens. And I just encourage you to keep doing that because it's amazing how it will change the trajectory of their lives. Incredible. Again, not perfect kids, but it's been awesome to see how God has used this place because God knows I need a lot of help raising kids. Uh, I'm, I'm not done yet. So anyway, and I'm assuming you probably do too. So I just say that as an encouragement to you this morning to keep your kids in church and be a part of these amazing ministries that God's provided here. Now this morning, we're starting a new series entitled Be Rich. In a day when there are so many people talking about all of the problems in this world, we are going to make the decision today to be a part of the solution, okay? And this is going to be exciting. So speaking of problems, I want to share something with you. I want you to just tell me, what is the problem you see right here with this loaf of bread? Not great, right? Yeah, mold. Here's what happened, all right? There was a time when this bread was really good, when it sat at the Lewis household. It could have been consumed, but the time went by, too much time went by, and now it's no good for anything to anybody, right? Like, it's no good. 
And that's what happens sometimes for many of us with lots of our things. And today we're going to take a look at a teaching from the brother of Jesus, James, from his book in the New Testament that's uh, named after him. And in this chapter we're going to look at, we're going to see James come hard with some strong language. I just want to tell you right now, not, not going to be profane language, but it's going to be strong. So buckle up, all right? This is going to be a little harsh. Some of these words are going to be kind of hard maybe to hear, but I just want to share them with you because we want to look at all the words that are taught in the Bible and, and really really look at them and to be able to embrace them and understand them. And what does that mean for us today? And so we want to take a look at this together in James chapter 5, where James is going to help us to understand in a very real sense that all of the things that God entrusts us with is symbolic of this bread right here. And here's what I want you to get stuck in your mind, okay? Just in case you need to leave early or those of you watching online or on television are going to tune out before it's all over with, let me just go ahead and give you the punchline up front, okay? Here it is. Start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. You like that? All right, let's say it together. Ready? Start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. That's right. That's it. That's what we're going to talk about today. And in James chapter 5, James is going to dive into this and help us to be able to begin to better understand how to manage what God has blessed us with. So let's start with James chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Here's what James says. He starts off by saying this. He says, now listen, you rich people, to which all of us in the room go, where are those rich people? All right? Where'd they go? I think there's some in here. I don't know, you know, everybody. But yeah, we always want to look around because you know why we do that? Even in this country, we do that because we don't feel rich. We don't feel rich. And what we don't realize is we're far richer than we realize. We don't feel rich, I really think, for two reasons. First, we don't feel rich because there's nearly very little or no margin in our income and in our expenses monthly. What we make and what we spend are either right at each other or we overspend or we're almost spending it all, so we don't feel rich at all. The second reason why we don't feel rich it's because we know what everybody else has, especially in the day of social media, right? We know where they vacation, where they live, what they drive, and we look at that and they go, wow, now they're really living. We have a crummy life compared to them. Look at the pictures. Oh my gosh, you know? And we tend to fall into that comparison game trap right? We even did a whole series not long ago on the comparison game and how we all tend to play the game at times, and we lose every time we play it. But here's the interesting thing. I mean, we talk about facts. We go from feelings to facts. It's always important to know what the facts are, not just how you feel. The facts are, according to international standards, if you have a household combined income of $32,500 or more, you are in the 1% club. Did you know that? Top 1% wealthiest people on planet earth out of 7.7 billion people. That's right. That's it. That it, it's that amazing that, that we don't really realize that. And I just encourage you, if you've never done this before, you can go to globalrichlist.com, globalrichlist.com, and put your income in when no one's looking, put exactly how much you make, and see 
just how rich you are. And it'll blow your mind compared to everybody else on planet Earth. But what's interesting here is back in the first century, in the day of James and his brother Jesus, there was this pervasive attitude or assumption that people had that the rich people were God's favorites. You know why? Look at all they had. Look how much they've been blessed with. Look at all the money they had. Look at all the opportunities they had. They must be more blessed. But what's interesting is Jesus comes along and he challenges this notion in places like Luke 12, 48. Here's what Jesus taught. He says, everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Where much is given, much is required, Jesus says. In other words, Jesus didn't say, oh, no, the rich are God's favorites. And, and by the way, that hasn't gone away. There's still people today that teach that. There's still people today that believe that. That if you're really on God's good side, you're going to be rich and wealthy and everything's going to go your way and he'll answer all your prayers and everything. Jesus didn't teach that. Here's what Jesus taught. Jesus taught rich aren't more loved. They're not any more loved than anyone else. The rich are more responsible because they are uniquely positioned to leverage their wealth, their position, their education, their influence to make a difference and to solve some of the world's problems better than people who are on the low end of the socioeconomic level. It just makes sense. Jesus taught this over and over. And especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the big question should be, how should I be leveraging my intellect, my education, my stuff, my wealth, my opportunities. How do I leverage what I have been entrusted with for God? This is what Jesus taught over and over. It's very interesting that many times this gets missed. And, and James goes on to say this in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, now, uh, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the, let's say this together, because of the miseries that are coming on you. Now, why would James say that these rich people are going to weep and wail because of the miseries that are going to be happening in the future? Because, I mean, everybody knows rich people don't need to worry about the future. They're rich. They don't need to worry. But here's the thing James knew is that rich people do worry. They worry all the time. You know why they worry? Because they put their trust in their wealth and in their things, and they try to derive their security, their identity, their peace from their things, and that is not any place they're ever going to find it. And if they do, it's just going to be very short, very fleeting, very short-lived. And James knew this, and he was saying, listen, it's not going to be found there. And here's the irony. The irony is, and you've seen it in your life, I've certainly seen it throughout my years, is that the more people get Typically, the tendency is the more they worry about losing what they have. The more people have, the more they worry about not having enough. Isn't that ironic? And one of the most staggering statistics in our country that is still true right down to this day, it's almost always been true, that some of the lowest income people in this country are the most generous by far. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's, there's something, and this is what James is talking about, there's something psychological that happens to us as we get more and more and more. We don't think we've got more because we keep comparing, we keep using it all, and we, 
we begin to wrap our little fingers around those things and we get a tighter and tighter grip on it and we don't want to let go of them. And here's the ironic truth, is that the things that God brought to you that he meant to bless you and to bring enjoyment become miserable, become miseries to you because you worry about them all the time. Now I got to manage this wealth. I got to watch out for it. I could lose it. What's going to happen next? And what's going to happen in the stock market? And what's going to happen? And they have no joy. The, the peace, the blessing of it is just evaporates. It's crazy. And what's more is that James is talking about not just about the misery that's coming in the future in this life, but there is an accountability, an accountability with God before God, for all that he has entrusted to you. He talks a little bit more about it in the next verse, verse 2. He says, your wealth over time, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes and your gold and silver are corroded. And, and notice, clothes were plural. Back in the first century, it was common. I mean, the rule rather than the exception was you had one set of clothes, Right? Wealthy people had multiple sets of clothes. I, I'm there to guess that in this room, if you go to my house and your house, we have multiple sets of clothes. We have lots of clothes. And I mean, there's probably clothes that you haven't worn in so long that there might be balls eating them. <laughs> they've gone completely out of style. Nobody wants to wear those clothes anymore. Like this bread looks better than those clothes, right? It's, it's bad. And he, this is what he's saying. There's a tendency to hold on to stuff way longer than we should. It's been a while back now, but I remember uh, just randomly I came across an old cell phone at, at my house. And it was one, if I'm honest, when I, re I remember why I held on to it, because I thought, I might need this, right? I got a new one. I'm like, I might need this. So I held on to it. Well, there was a period of time when that cell phone could have been traded in for some value. I could have given it to somebody. They could have used it. But no, Will might need it. So I held on to it, and now it's worth about as much as this bread right here. It is completely worthless. This is what James is warning us of. Because we all have a tendency to want to do that, to hold on to stuff, to the point where now it's not good for anything, for anybody. And it's so important that we don't fall into that trap. Begin to ask tougher questions of like, do I really need this much? Is there any way I could leverage some of this to help somebody else? I could use some of this to make a difference. Wow, wouldn't that be a revolutionary, amazing um, idea? In verse 3, he goes on to say this. Their corrosion, he's talking about our stuff again. He says, their corrosion will testify against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Isn't that crazy? He's, it's like Old Testament divine judgment, prophetic kind of language. You don't see that a whole lot in the New Testament. That's, like, that's Old Testament kind of preaching right there. That's kind of incredible. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, everybody needs to understand this. Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ or not, everybody will be held accountable for what you have been given by God. Whether you recognize it's from Him or not, it is from Him. And He's saying, it's going to testify against you. There is coming a time of, of, of accountability in the future. Verse 3, He goes on to say, you have, and just in case you missed my point, he's saying, you have hoarded your wealth in the last days. 
before the return of Jesus. Just like the advent of Jesus, the first coming, nobody expected. They, they weren't looking for it. They didn't know that it was going to happen at the time that it did. He's, the second coming is going to come just like that. It's going to come like that. And, and the time is shorter than people think. We don't know the time of the, the day of the hour, Jesus said, but, but it's coming. And he says, so essentially, here's the question I want you to ask. Why hoard when your time is short? We all need to wrestle with that question. What is it we're hoarding that we shouldn't be when the time is so short? And, and the, the, the time for me, and maybe this has happened to you, when this became painfully, like I became painfully aware of this, have you ever cleaned out a parent's or a grandparent's house? I know some of you laugh. You've done this, right? You know what I'm talking about. You clean out their house. It, either they have passed away or they have downsized or moved into an assisted living situation, something like that. Um, it's been years ago now. My, pa, my father passed away from cancer, and I remember going through my dad's house. I love my dad. He held on to a lot of stuff that meant a lot to him. But, I mean, and I don't know, and again, totally not to disrespect my father, and you would probably say the same thing, but you look around the house going, what are we going to do with all this junk? Because that's what it is. Like, there's so much stuff in here that's worth nothing. It's worth as much as this bread right here. Like, it had some value to him, but it like, it's not valuable anymore, and we got to do something with all of this stuff. And it got me thinking, wouldn't it be interesting and again, we don't know the day or the hour when we are going to pass from this earth, but wouldn't it be cool to sort of set yourself up where you start to give things away, sell stuff off, instead of putting it all into an estate, a will? I mean, we should have those, but I'm just saying, wouldn't it be cool to be able to give those things away and to see their reaction, to see them enjoy it while you're still alive? Begin to bless people with what you have and get right down to the end where there's about four boxes of your junk left, and that's it. You breathe your last, you go to heaven, man, and like there's like no, almost nothing left. You're penniless, and you, got, you gave it all away. And people were just like blessed by your life all the way down to the very end. What a cool way to go. It's a very, it's scary, it's so non-American and the way we think right now, but it is an amazing biblical idea to think, how do I leverage what I have? And here's the cool thing too, is that, and, and this is again, bearing from my own life, and I've heard many other people tell the same story that have been through the same scenario, when you have a grandparent or parent pass away, we all tell stories, don't we, about our parent or grandparent and about their stuff. We, what we do now, what we do now will de de determine the story that they tell and the example that they will follow. Isn't that awesome? Like, you get an opportunity, I get an opportunity right now. What are we going to do today? What are we going to do while we still have time to inspire our kids, our grandkids, our nieces and nephews, people that we have influence, people that work for us? I mean, gosh, what an opportunity that gets squandered in so many lives to begin to look for opportunities that you get to dictate what kind of story they're going to tell by the way that you manage what you've been given. Wouldn't that be great? Verse 4, here's what he says. He says, look, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He's saying, the, those of you who have influence, you don't even realize it, but you have people under you that depend on you. 
Some of you are business owners. Some of you have more influence. You manage great numbers of people. You have all kinds of influence in this community that you have no idea just how many lives, the ripple effect of your life touches so many. And back in the first century, and there's a tendency still to this day to do this, that people who were wealthy, who were in charge, were looking, how do I get more out of these people and pay them less? How do I, and you tend to overwork and underpay. And that's what was happening here. How do I, and, and, they, and commonly was written about in the first century, these landowners would exploit the workers that would, that would labor for them. And this is what James is saying. He goes, don't you think that God's not paying attention to that? He's hearing their, their cries and their prayers. Don't you dare mistreat people. I want you to look for opportunities to bless them, to encourage them, to empower them, to raise them up, not to keep them down. I want to change the paradigm from the way that you think. In other words, resourced people. This wasn't just in the first century. This is the resourced people right down to this day. Um, let's go to the next slide here. Resourced people um, tend to look for ways, uh, or pardon me, resourced people shouldn't look for loopholes to do less. Resourced people should look for opportunities to do more. That's what we should be doing. This is what is taught all throughout the New Testament, that resource people ought to be doing those things. And it's so important that we be looking for those things right down to this day in your job right now. You see, when Jesus taught in the New Testament, he taught that we, were, we are going to be commended for working hard, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, let's go. That, that was what I just said. We'll go to the next one here. Um, um, well done, good and faithful servant. You'll be commended for your hard work, and you will be commanded to give generously. And not even give generously, but to give sacrificially. To give sacrificially. That was what was taught in the New Testament. Jesus taught this. I want you to be above average giver. If you're my follower, I want you to be known as people who are extraordinarily generous. I want you to be not just generous, but sacrificially generous. And I want you to know that it's important to God that you leverage well the time and talent and opportunity, stuff that you've been given, to work hard, do a good job, and to, to use that, leverage what you can for God's kingdom. In verse 5, he says this, you have lived on earth, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. In other words, you don't even realize it, but you have fallen into the consumption assumption. What does the consumption assumption say? It says, if it comes to me, it must be, let's say it together, it must be for, for me. That's right. If it comes to me, it must be for me. And again, most people believe that. Like, oh, well, if I get a raise, God must have meant for me to consume all of that. I must, he, like, it's like ordained that God wants me to go get a new car, right? To upgrade the house, get new stuff, go on an elaborate vacation. Okay, having nice things. I'm not saying that. But I am saying the first thing we should ask is, God, you bless me with more. What did you have in mind for that? Maybe some of it was for the Lewis family. Maybe some of it was to bless another family. Maybe some of it was to, to be a part of blessing another family at church or in the community or who knows? Ask him. Talk to him. It's amazing how God will begin to show you. But to let that be our knee-jerk reaction rather than if it comes to me, it's for me. 
And this is what James was saying to those folks. He's, he goes on to say, you have fattened yourself, yourselves in the day of slaughter. Of course, today, if we're about to have a big celebration, a big meal, we just go down to H-E-B or to Walmart, and we just buy us some meat, don't we? Go home, cook it up. Back then, if you're going to have a big celebration, of course, they didn't eat meat a whole lot, but like in the parable of the prodigal son, kill the fatted calf, my son has come home. They had to prepare in advance. They're fattening up a calf for the big celebration. They had to have an animal set aside. And he says, and very much like that fattened, fattened up calf, that's you, wealthy people, us, all of us sitting here. Be careful because you may not even realize it, but all that you've been stockpiling is going to be pulled away from you. And what's interesting is that there's no way that James could have known this apart from divine inspiration when he was writing this, this book in the New Testament. But just a few years later, in AD 62, James was martyred by the high priest in Jerusalem by being stoned to death for his witness of Jesus Christ, which is, by the way, an amazing thing. He was Jesus' brother, half-brother, grew up with Jesus, did not believe he was the Messiah until he saw his brother resurrected from the dead. And then he not only believed, he was willing to die for that fact. That, that is... That is as all in as a person gets, isn't it? <laughs> is that I'm willing to die for that. And that's what he did. He believed and he was willing to give his life for it. Well, seven years later, AD um, 69, right about that time, there was a big coup that happened that the Jews had a big uprising against the Romans. And all of the rich people of the Judean area came to Jerusalem and were held up within the city walls, and they were surrounded by the legions of the Roman armies. They were all around, and they, they just held them in there for as long as they could, and they starved them down. They had disease, and the poor turned on the rich, and people murdered each other. It was horrible. Their wealth was taken away, and the few that did survive that Ensiegement. A few that did survive were taken and enslaved to Rome, and every single penny of the wealth was carted off to Rome. It was all taken from them. This is why Jesus says, you don't know the future. I do. This is why I'm telling you, while you have time, while the giving is good, give while the giving is good, right? Give while the giving is good. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Begin to invest in the things of God. Be rich towards the things of God. Because that is treasure that will never, ever be taken away from you. So I'd like this to say this little phrase one more time. James, if he was here, he'd probably say it something like this, especially if he was from Texas, right? Okay, let's say it together. Start giving while you're living because you're, what you're holding is molding, Right? That's exactly it, that what we're holding on to, we're going to be accountable for. What we're holding on to, we're going to be accountable for. And this is why we are launching this generosity campaign. As a matter of fact, we're calling it Be Rich, and it's really a celebration of generosity where we are communicating to the Brazos Valley, to our entire community, that everybody matters to God and this is really important, whether God matters to them or not, because that's the way Jesus loved people. 
Whether, they, whether God matters to them or not, that, that everybody matters to God. And so we're looking for, and we have, um, people that we can partner with, nonprofits that are doing phenomenal jobs in a community called, we're calling them our intersect partners. We're intersecting with them to partner with them to help them to do what they're already doing very well. And, and some of the areas that we're looking to, we're going to be assisting with are things like hunger in the area, in our community, foster care issues, and helping those with disabilities. And there's <clears throat> three different components to this Be Rich campaign. There is the give component, the serve component, and the love component. And so, of course, this week we're talking about give. We're talking about why we give, why we've been asked and challenged and commanded to give in the New Testament. And um, what we've done is we've had some of our staff members going around to some of the most fabulous, amazing nonprofits in the Brazos Valley that are doing amazing work. Many of them have been doing amazing work for literally decades, doing incredible things for people and asking this question, what would help you to make a big difference? We have vetted these organizations to get the, the, the legit ones that are not fly-by-night, haven't been here a short time. They've been here a long term doing incredible work on a shoestring budget, and now we would love to bless them to do even better work. And let me just tell you the goal of this Be Rich campaign. It's not necessarily a dollar amount. It's really a participation amount. We would love to have 100% participation We'd love for everybody to do something, everybody to do something. And, and it's important for you to understand that what we are going to bring in, we are going to give to the Be Rich campaign, we're going to give 100% of it away. Let me be clear about that. 100%, not one dime of the Be Rich money we are going to keep in house. We're going to give it all away to the community to bless them because we believe that will communicate the love of Jesus, saying, hey, we believe in you, what you're doing, you're making a difference. So here's what we're asking you to do. We're trying to make a bite-sized chunk that everybody can get their, their arms around. We're asking everybody to give a one-time gift of $39.95. Now, it sounds like we're selling something, isn't it, right? <laughs> but I'm just saying, as you go around Target and Walmart, most stuff is $39.99 or less that people are buying all day long, Right? And what we're asking you to do is if you give $39.95, you can rest assured you know this is going to make a difference. This is going to change a life. This is going to help somebody who is in dire need in our community. And just doing rough math, if, if, uh, if we, all the adults that attend on an average Sunday here at Brazos Fellowship give, we're going to be able to give away somewhere in the neighborhood of $60 thousand dollars to be able to bless some local charities that have rarely ever had gifts anywhere close to that given away to them. So it'll be such a cool blessing to be able to share that with them. So let me share with you four projects that we are going to laser focus on and identified in our community that we're going to be meeting. First is a, a fundraiser to help address the hunger relief for at-risk kids in our community, specifically kids who, over the Christmas break, that will not have enough nourishment, enough food in their home. Now, during school, when it's open, they, they can get food at school, but over the, the break, they, they literally won't have enough food um, considered at-risk kids, so being able to provide food for them. Number two, um, fund local foster care initiatives, kids who are orphaned that need a, a, a start in life. And over and over again, 
we're, we're told and it's made really clear in the Bible that orphans are big on God's heart, that he wants them taken care of. He wants us to step up and help kids that are some of the most vulnerable in the world. Number three, fund, uh, um, funding assistance to prevent homelessness. And this is specifically with those who are disabled in our community that need our help. And so it's, it's just so fabulous that we get to do this. And number four is to fund staff positions and operating costs for local nonprofits that they have never been able to do or be able to provide before. It could make such a difference. And, and so I just want you to see that um, by us giving, coming together and collectively doing this, it is going to be a game changer for our partners. And it is going to be life-changing for the people that they serve. Absolutely life-changing. You know, and just to remind you something that Jesus taught in Matthew 25, 40. He says, whatever you did for the least of these, you have done it unto me. And I don't know how you identify the least of these without including orphans and disabled individuals and people who are hurting and vulnerable and need our help like crazy. So I am so excited. I feel like we have put our finger on the nerve of some of the most needy people in our community, some of the greatest nonprofits that are doing some of the best work in the Brazos Valley that we can come alongside and really knock it out of the park going into you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. In other words, here's what Jesus taught. Our devotion to God is demonstrated through our love for others. Jesus, you know, remember the conversation he has with Peter towards the end of the gospel of, 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 of John. He says, listen, do you love me, Peter? Then go feed my lambs. Go take care of my sheep. Go take care of my people. You love me, love them. You want to you really show me? Like, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, he always tied those together. Command one and two, go together. <clears throat> He's always telling us, listen, if you really want to be mature in your faith and your followership of Jesus, <clears throat> learn how to love other people. Just staying isolated and don't share it with anybody and trying to keep it all under wraps and like, that's safe. That's how I get it, right? That's easy. But getting out and loving people and helping people and, and, and really making a difference, man, that is when accelerated spiritual growth begins to happen. And the reason we do this, ladies and gentlemen, is that extravagant generosity towards others is the only appropriate response to God's extravagant generosity towards us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Like he has lavished on us his love, salvation, eternal life, and given us so many opportunities in this country. We forget how blessed we are because we're surrounded by so many blessed people. We're surrounded by so many rich people. And we have been given a unique opportunity to make such a difference. So here's how it works. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. As we live out of here after we pray in just a moment, that if you want to be a part of this, I'm encouraging everybody to be a part of this. Cash and check donations, just go to the Welcome Center. It's literally right out the doors. As you go out, the Welcome Center right there, you can do cash and check there. And if you would like to do credit or debit cards, just go to any of the balloon um, locations. Um, we've got little... Um, little uh, Balloon, you know, units up uh, top on the top of the, the uh, lobby by the kids check-in and the, the uh, coffee area and out on the front porch area. So you're going to hit one somewhere, whether you come or this way or that way. So I just encourage you, please be a part of this. And, and just for the fact that you will know that you got to be a part of making a difference, a real difference, that it's really going to touch lives and it's really going to impact people in the name of Jesus, for the love of Jesus. 
And not often do we get opportunities to be able to make a difference at such a bite-sized chunk in the world today. So that's what our hope was for uh, all of us today, is to step out and do that. And, and essentially, just let our community know that our faith here is a lot more than just a church attendance. It's more than just sermons and songs, right? That we are called to go out and reflect the compassion of our God, our Heavenly Father, to our community. It's so important that we live it out. We live it out. So here's the application prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me today and that you would commit to this, and then we're going to close out. It's simply saying, Jesus, show me where I am holding on to stuff now that I will be accountable for later. I want to be generous as you are generous while there is still time. All I have is available to you right now, like just that prayer of surrender. I know that's scary, but that's when faith begins to grow rapidly, when we lay it all out and say, God, I'm all yours. I'm all in. I'm pushing all the chips to the middle. I'm going all in on this one. And I just encourage you that this would be a turning point for you spiritually today. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.